Ecclesia is a new church trying to live out the way of Jesus in Princeton, New Jersey. We pray this teaching invites you to love Jesus and people more deeply and to embrace the full life that Jesus offers each one of us. Grace and peace to you. Today's reading is from Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 22. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in the place. And he dreamed that there was a ladder set up on earth and top of it, reaching the heavens. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give you into your offspring, and your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And all the family of the earth shall be blessed, and you and your offspring know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give you bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace and the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for the pillar shall be God's house and all that you give me, I will surely give one tenth to you. Amen. Will you pray with me? Oh, dear Jesus, Lord, we come in from all different places. Lord, we come in carrying all kinds of different things, Lord. For those of us who were overwhelmed yet again by the news yesterday, as people just going to a mall were confronted with the evil and the violence of our world, God, and our, our inability to deal with America's violence problem, Lord, would you bring comfort? Lord, you are the God who comforts the brokenhearted. Lord, for those of us who can't even concern ourselves with other people's pain because we're so heavy laden with our own, God, would we see that this word is for us today? God, that this biblical story is not just a record of what happened, it is a story about what happens. It is a fresh word spoken into our bleak despair that brings hope and life. So Lord, would you meet us here this morning? God, wherever we come from, would we find ourselves immersed in your story? It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Well, guys, we have been in a series on the life of Jacob. And Jacob is this beautifully complex character. Um, And and if you read through the scriptures, you might find that, uh, you know, against maybe your presuppositions about the kind of people that God uses in the world— is you'll read about Jacob and you'll see that he wasn't exactly the kind of person who always chose the right thing. 
Um, he was the type of person who wrestled with God. And, and I should say, if you have a baby in here, we love the sound, so please don't feel the need to rush out. Um, and so for us today, we meet Jacob, where Mike just read for us. And we meet Jacob, and when we last left Jacob, he was on the run. His mother and he had conspired to steal the blessing that rightfully belonged to his brother Esau. Jacob had deceived his father, and he had betrayed his brother, and now Esau wanted him dead. And so Jacob had to leave his house. And his mother told him now, you have to run from your homeland to flee to stay with her brother Laban, Jacob's uncle. And Jacob said one more goodbye to his mother, and he, he got one more interaction with his father, and then he left under the cloak of night, headed toward Laban's hometown in Haran. Now, you have to understand that people in this society, like it wasn't like our own, where like people will graduate from high school, they'll go off far to college, and then they'll move maybe again to a city for a job. Like that's our culture. We live in a very mobile culture for most people. But for this culture, your entire safety net, your whole um, way of living was supported and, and was, um, was made sure that it was secure by your uh, social network. And so for Jacob to leave behind his family was, was to put himself in such a place of vulnerability. He, in effect, is alone in the world. All of his security, and not only that, but all of the markers of his identity— like if you read the scriptures, you'll see people described by their family name. And like we have last names, like I'm Ian Graham. My parents are here this morning who bestowed that last name upon me. We have names that identify what part or our family of origin. For them, they were known by whose son they were or whose child they were. So Jacob, son of Isaac, Isaac, son of Abraham. And so Jacob not only has left behind the markers of security and the social network that would ensure that he was taken care of, but he's also left behind most of the markers of his identity. Now, Abraham, Jacob's grandfather, was called by God to go from his homeland. This is what we see in Genesis 12, is that God comes to Abraham and he says, go from this place to a land that I will show you. But Jacob, he hasn't gone to another place because of something that God has said. He has run because he has been caught in a lie. His brother wants to, to kill him. He has cheated. He has stolen. And now, as we pick up the story today, Jacob is a fugitive. His safety net has been burned, and he is in danger from all angles. He has to be aware as he travels uh, through the lands towards his uncle's house of people who, who would seek to steal from him or to harm him. He's literally alone in the world. And so here is Jacob, full-on fight-or-flight mode, on the run, and when we pick up the story today, he comes to the end of his travels for the day. He's harried, he's tired. The sun is going down, and as we know, it's even more dangerous than so many of these times to travel at night. There are predators and there are bandits. So he finds a place to lay his head. And in verse 12, it says that he finds a stone for a pillow. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever been desperate for sleep, but I don't think you've been that desperate. And so the narrator tells us, that Jacob is thoroughly alone, exhausted, hungry, and thirsty. He does the only thing that he can do, and he falls asleep. Jacob is a sleeping fugitive. He has forever altered the course of his life with his decisions. It, it turns out he will never see his mother again. When his mother sent him away, she thought it was just for a time, just why Esau's anger subsided. 
but their decisions have forever altered the course of this family's life together. Jacob has hit rock bottom. And Ecclesia, I know so many of you can relate to this moment. You know the feeling of being completely at the end of yourself. Jacob has contributed greatly to his current circumstances. Like for some of us, we've been put at the end of ourselves by some decision and some choice that somebody else made or something that somebody else did to us or something that happened that was completely out of our control. But for Jacob, he has been complicit in the circumstances that he now faces. But no matter what, no matter whether it was your decision, whether, whether it was something that happened that had no explanation, We've all been there. This feeling of abject despair. This feeling of staring into the abyss and there is no light coming for us. But pay attention to what happens next. When Jacob is literally at his most vulnerable, he is a sleeping fugitive. He is on the run. He has lost everything. Verse 12 tells us, And he dreamed... And he dreamed that there was a ladder set up on the earth. The top of it reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said to him, The Lord stood beside Jacob in his moment of vulnerability and said to him, Here's Jacob on the run. Everything he has ever known has disintegrated under the weight of his decisions. He is at some no-name place sleeping on a rock. This is the last place that you would ever expect God to show up. And if you've read the story of Jacob, this is the last person to whom you would ever expect God to show up. And yet Jacob, in his most vulnerable state, sleeping on a rock, God breaks through it all through the abyss and appears to him in a dream. God comes to him. Jacob has done nothing to make this encounter happen. Nothing that would suggest an encounter with God is imminent. He's between safety. He's between his family of origin and the place to where he's going to go to try to find security. He's on the run. And it's in these in-between places that God shows up in unexpected ways. He's brought himself to the end of his rope. And Dallas Willard, the great philosopher and theologian, says, if you want to know God's address, it's at the end of your rope. Jacob's story is bearing witness to us that at our moments of brokenness, our moments of of feelings of abandonment, when we have blown it beyond repair, that God, in all of his beautiful grace, comes to us. He stands beside us, just as he does to Jacob, and he speaks a new word to us. And the Lord God says to Jacob, I am the Lord the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, this land which you lay on a stone, I will give you, and I will give to your offspring, and your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, and all of the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you. And will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Friends, to the depths of Jacob's despair, 
God comes in and speaks a fresh word of hope and of possibility. For Jacob, there was no future without God's creative and redemptive word. And he comes to Jacob and he says, I am with you. Walter Brueggemann, the Old Testament theologian, says about Jacob's, this, this event that happens in Jacob's life. He says, the wakeful world of Jacob was a world of fear, of terror, of loneliness, and we may imagine unresolved guilt. Those were the parameters of his existence. The dream permits the entry of an alternative into his life. The dream is not a morbid review of a shameful past. God doesn't show up and say, here's the, the loop of your life on repeat. Look at what you've done. Look at what you've made of yourself. God comes to him and he speaks and he says, I am with you. And at our lowest moments, God is not abandoning you to your fate. He's not telling you to figure it out and get back to him. He's not saying, see, I told you so. He breaks into our most vulnerable places in our darkest hours when we've blown it beyond belief and beyond repair and he says to us, my promise holds true. I am still God and I am still with you. And notice something else that happens. Jacob wakes up and we'll see this in just a moment in the story. But Jacob's reality doesn't magically transform. He's not suddenly back at home with his family and everything's all right. God didn't bring him back in time to undo what's in his past, Avenger style. Jacob's world has something which it was lacking before. You see, Jacob, when he fell asleep, he fell asleep in despair. He fell asleep in terror of what awaited him on the other side of his slumber. But when he woke, because God had broken into his life, because God had come to his most vulnerable place, Jacob had something when he woke up that he didn't have when he went to sleep. Jacob had hope. And for so many of us today, we need to hear these words of hope. Friends, one of the most powerful questions that we can ask of our neighbors and we can ask of our own lives is where, where are you looking for hope? Where are you looking for a fresh word from God? And Jacob remarks in the story, as he wakes up, he says, surely the Lord was in this place, this in-between, this vulnerable place, and I didn't know it. What place of abandonment, friends, what place of loneliness, what place of anxiety do you need to see that is in, in fact, not a God-forsaken place, but the place where God is the most present? The place where he's breaking in despite all of the circumstances, despite what it would seem, and he's saying to you, I am with you. God is showing Jacob that there are no God-forsaken places. There are no God-forsaken people. Heaven is not far off. Heaven is not unconcerned with earth. But in fact, the Lord is in this place. There is a ladder ascending and descending. And Jacob is awake to that reality for the first time. God comes to Jacob in his most vulnerable moment. And friends, he will come to you. The second thing I want you to see this morning is that God does not wait for Jacob to repent to reform, to apologize, to, to, to make right all that he has wronged, God doesn't wait in order to come to him. Now often when we sin, when we, when we sort of know we mess up, we feel that guilt in our, in our soul, we, we add a, an entire layer onto it because we think that in order to come back to God, we have to get it figured out first. 
right? We do this terrible, we enter into this terrible cycle where we, we, we do wrong, we, we break what we know is like God's covenant of love for us and then we feel like we have to hide in our shame or punish us or spend enough time away from God to where he will have forgotten about what we did. But friends, that's not who God is. God is not saying, oh, you've blown it. You have uh, to spend 10 days in abject guilt and terror and remorse. God comes through in all of this. It'd be like if you were diagnosed with an an infection and you said, you know what? I'm going to wait to go to the doctor until I've got this thing healed. Right? No, you need antibiotics. You need to go to the doctor. And we do this when we, when we sin. We do this when we mess up. We think that we have to then hide ourselves from God. And we cover ourselves with figs and leaves in our shame. But God doesn't wait. God is not afraid of your actions. God is not somehow uh, afraid of the things that you've done. God is not participating in our cycles of shame. He is breaking through that and he's coming to us. And friends, so often, if we would just see that when we, when we mess it up, when we blow it beyond belief, the only person who can heal our souls, the only person who can unburden us is God. And he's saying, don't be afraid. Come here. Come close. And we see this in the life of Jacob. God is not waiting till we have fixed ourselves to draw near. And thank goodness he doesn't. Because the reality that we come to know is that we are incapable of fixing ourselves. Sin is a power. It's not just that there's, a, there's some code written on the law, and if you break one of the rules, God's like, well, I mean, that's one of the rules. That's one of the words you can't say. Sin is a power that enslaves us. It keeps us in bondage. It wants to keep us in these cycles of fear and anxiety. It wants to keep us listening to a false gospel of scarcity and, and, and to hear that God doesn't love us. And salvation comes to us not when we've paid the price because God himself has paid the price. Salvation is not a formula that says if you do these things, then God will grant you these gifts. Salvation is the very presence of God. God himself coming to us. And friends, can I say to you today that God is not waiting. He doesn't wait for Jacob to become an honest and upstanding citizen. He's not waiting for you to fix your life or for it to magically become holy so that he can come near to you. God's promise to us stands. He will never give up on you. And we see this fully when we look at the cross of Jesus. Just like Jacob was consigned to a life of hopelessness as a fugitive, Jesus confronts our sin and the death which held us captive. He goes to Golgotha, that God-forsaken hill of Calvary. He is abandoned by God. He sheds his blood, taking the full weight of sin and death upon his shoulders. All the worst evil in the world, all the worst rebellion against God that we could do to him was laid upon the shoulders of Jesus, our Savior. The place was utterly desolate. He's abandoned by his friends. He says to God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Utterly alone. And on that Friday afternoon, much like the night when Jacob went to sleep, it would seem that all hope is lost. As Jesus slumbers in the grave, fully dead, everything seems broken. 
But on Sunday morning, on that Easter resurrection Sunday, the surprise and joy of new life, of God speaking a fresh word, that he is the resurrection and the life, that he is uh, able to take our worst, to go down to the place of death and despair, and to come through the other side, conquering it, undoing it completely, on that Easter Sunday morning, we see that there are no God-forsaken places because even when Jesus was God-forsaken, God overcomes. God takes on the weight of the world and he raises up to new life. There are no God-forsaken places. There are no God-forsaken people because Jesus says that surely the Lord is in this place. Even at our lowest moments of despair and brokenness, God is coming to us. And Jesus shows us that he doesn't wait The world was not asking for a baby to be born in a manger, for God incarnate to come to us. John says that the the world loved the darkness more than the light. Jesus doesn't wait till we had it all together. He comes in the middle of the night, in the middle of an unforeseen place, born outside of the palaces and the places where we would expect messiahs and kings to be born. He comes to us. And Romans 5 verse 6 tells us that while we were still mired in our sin, while we were still weak, while we were still sinners, when we were not looking for God at all, God came to us, much like God comes to Jacob in his dream. God pronounced a fresh word over us, a future and a promise that he would make a way where there was none, that Jesus is raised to life, that he is king of all the earth, that he is with us to the end of the age. In Ecclesia, it is a myth that somehow you're going to get, a, get to a point where you understand it, where it all makes sense to you, where you get your life together to the point where you can come to God, where he's like, okay, now you've done it. Now you can come in close. Now you can experience those things, those, those nice, uh, when we gather here on Sunday morning, it looks like some people are singing and it looks like they, they get it. Like now you can experience that. It's a myth that there's something that's going to happen in your life that's going to make room for that. What the cross of Jesus shows us is that we were much more ready to yell crucify him than we were to welcome him as our king. But God in his great love didn't wait and he's not waiting now. He is coming to you and truly all you have to do is receive it. All you have to do is say, I don't know everything. It doesn't all make sense to me and welcome, you're in good company. But what I do understand is that story That story of a God coming to us in our most vulnerable places. That story of a God who doesn't wait for us to figure it all out. That story somehow involves me. And truly, all you have to do is say yes to that. And as we wrap up this morning, I want to go back to the beginning of the story of Jacob's life. Rebecca, in Genesis 25, she receives this this promise that Jacob will be the one who inherits the promise. Even though, given the cultural norms of the day, and as we talked about a couple weeks ago, it should rightfully be Esau, Jacob's older brother. But God speaks his promise over Jacob. Before he was ever out of the womb, God is this sort of background figure in Jacob's life. God is orchestrating events long before Jacob appears on the scene. And God's promise goes before Jacob. The words spoken to the prophet Jeremiah were true of Jacob's life. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And in the story we read last week, we see a family broken apart by human decisions. 
We see Rebecca rushing in to secure the promises for herself. You see, she's received this promise that Jacob will be the one who, who bears the promise, who takes the story forward, but she feels in this moment that she has to act. And what she does breaks this family apart. And now we find where we picked up today that because of their actions, Jacob has to flee his home. Um, I really like the BBC show, the, the Sherlock, the miniseries that they put out like once every 10 years. Right? Anybody watch those? Yeah, I'm into that. Benedict Cumberbatch, like he's good. He's also the Grinch, so he's playing an important part of my life right now. My kids have no regard for Christmas season. Uh, so we watch the Grinch at all moments. And I'm into the peacoats, the snarky British accents, and the know-it-alls. Like uh, that, that's, that's kind of in my lane. I'm into that. And in, in each of these shows, there's this moment where things come into focus where all the events begin to coalesce, where Sherlock, genius that he is, pieces everything together, all these disparate parts of the story start to make sense in light of the broader story. It's all very satisfying, right? Like, there's something about crime and justice that's just like, okay, cool, we get it now. Like, the bad people did bad things and now they will pay. Like, we, we like that simplicity. And what if, what if, perhaps, your whole life has been God weaving together this tapestry of grace, beckoning you towards him, surrounding you with his presence. And here's the thing. I, I'm not a person who thinks that everything happens for a reason. I don't think that everything that happens in this world with all its horror and all its pain is somehow caused by God. That he's saying, okay, now we're going to throw this into their, their story and we'll see how they handle that. I don't think that. What we saw last week is that Rebecca made a decision completely on her own that caused Jacob to be on the run this week. And what that's telling me is that no matter what happens, no matter what God is presented with, that in spite of it all, he is coming to us. Friends, I don't know what you've been through in your life. Here's what I know. I love you and I want to tell you the best things that I know about God. God is a God of life. And that so often we are met with death, disappointment, with heartache, with betrayal in this life. And while I would love to tell you that it will always be okay, that it will always be this, like there will always be a silver lining, that you just have to look hard enough and you'll see the purpose behind it. I think that's the point of evil. It is purposeless. But in the hands of a sovereign and beautiful God, even the worst things that we experience in our lives... Even those moments where it seems like death has the last word, God is saying to you, I am with you. And so this is the best thing I can tell you about God. And I think it truly is the truth that changes the entire world, is that no matter what you are going through, no matter what you've done, God is with you. And he is coming to you, and he is saying there is a new day coming there is a new reality available to you. And all we have to do sometimes is to wake up and to see that surely God is in this place. To turn to him, even in our brokenness, as Jacob does and says, I, I, like nothing has, has profoundly changed for me except for this one word of hope that I now hold. And this is the life of faith, friends. This is the life that he is beckoning us towards to see that even when we feel like there is no tomorrow, God makes a way. That with every sense of crucifixion, with every sense of brokenness beyond repair, that God brings resurrection and life. 
Jesus is coming to us and he comes to you and he won't wait. God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never quit on you. He is a God who speaks a fresh word in the dark of night and all we have to do is receive it. Would you pray with me, Ecclesia? Uh, merciful God, Lord, you come to us, God, in spite of the darkness, God, you come. God, in spite of our decisions, you come. And what we see throughout the library of Scripture, what we see throughout the narrative of, of your salvation story is that your presence is what changes everything. So God, to those this morning who feel like they are God-forsaken, Lord, would you speak a fresh word that you are with them. God, to those who feel like the circumstances and the events of their life have put them to a place where there is no tomorrow, would you speak a fresh word of new life, of hope beyond the grave of whatever is going on, of hope that doesn't belittle our pain or try to make light of it, but takes it just as you took your cross, takes it and, and puts it into the reality of your nail-scarred hands, the hands that have overcome the world, the hands that have embraced the world, Jesus. Would we see that there are no God-forsaken people, there are no God-forsaken places because you come to us in the bleakest of circumstances. Jesus, we ask that you would speak that word to us today. It's in your name we pray, in the beautiful and strong name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.ecclesianj.com.